Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we clarify some things from our index fund episode and talk about Roth versus traditional contributions. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. We are both coincidentally rocking our Crooked Crab gear today. This is a fun day for a podcast when we're both representing your brewery in Maryland. I love it. It's a lot of fun seeing people wear our gear. And the other thing that happens is sometimes people send me notes when they see others wearing Crooked Crab just like far from Maryland. Um, One of my neighbors was on vacation in the Virgin Islands and saw someone in a Crooked Crab shirt. Oh, wow. Candidly took a photo and sent it to me. I love it. You guys do have cool merch. So the one I'm wearing is like this neon yellow that you guys did. I think it was like an 80s night or something. Yeah. And I remember the graphic that I thought I was buying was kind of this muted yellow shirt. And it is like highlighter yellow. So I wear it a lot at home. I do not wear this out and about as much just because I don't like to attract that kind of attention. That's just not me. When we purchased those, we also thought it was a little more muted. And it is very bright, which is great for like a theme night or if you're going to... I'd imagine a rave for whoever goes to raves. I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of swag, we are going to order the wine keys. I got tripped up on the order page that I was on because it started asking me whether I wanted something screen printed or laser engraved, and it completely stopped me in my tracks. That wasn't a question I was prepared for. I don't know the difference. I mean, obviously, I understand the difference between something that's engraved and screen printed, but I basically just want a product provider that's going to tell me how is this going to look good just make the logo look reasonable make sure it lasts a long time so i mean i'm still looking for the right vendor for our wine keys but we are going to order them and that is convenient because today we're doing some mailbag stuff we didn't even do one in july dan no mailbag in july july apparently blew by without us even realizing it it did well we we went really late in June. I think it was like the 28th of June was our mailbag episode. And so it just pushed us because we had some other topics we wanted to talk about. And it pushed us into what is now August for our next mailbag. So it's not a monthly mailbag episode anymore. It's just a when we feel like it mailbag episode. Yeah. Sue us. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we we have a joke every once in a while where, you know, I, I think we we try really hard to make sure that this show is good. But Every once in a while, we'll have one where like, man, I hope that was good. I hope people like respond to that. And then you go, well, it's worth what they paid for it. So, right. It's free. If if you hate what we're talking about, turn it off. But we hope that you still get some enjoyment out of it. Yeah. In the meantime, we commit to providing 20 to 30 minutes of content every single week. The quality of said content up for debate, but it will be there for you. That's what we're doing. So we're going to start with a question that came in from Neil, and this is about our index fund episode that was a couple weeks ago. And Neil writes in and says, heard the show, doesn't the option to pick and choose what stocks to include and when to sell underperforming parts of the index defeat not only the diversity benefit of the funds, but just gives idiots like me more opportunities to screw things up because I think I'm smart. He'd suggested that we do bucket hats, by the way. 
Neil, I like the bucket hat suggestion. So this is in reference to what we were talking about on direct indexing. A direct index, uh, again, for folks that didn't hear it, is essentially when an index fund provider is going to buy you a representative sample of the index. So your portfolio is going to look and feel and kind of act like an index, but it also allows them to replace stocks that have lost value for the purpose of tax loss harvesting. Um, This is a product that we've been excited about in our practice. We've started using in our practice and we were talking about on the show. So Dan, what's your take on that? Does this just introduce more opportunity to shoot yourself in the foot? I see where the question comes from. My answer is not necessarily because it's not really you doing the selling. This is still happening in an automated kind of way with the goal of harvesting losses to benefit you from a tax perspective. But you're not going in and saying, I don't like this stock, I'm going to sell it. It's still an outside manager making those decisions and aiming to keep that portfolio representative of the benchmark. So the hope is it's still going to continue to look like that benchmark and provide similar performance just with that added tax benefit. And though you may have the ability to control perhaps companies that you want excluded from the portfolio, it's again, not intended to be used like you managing the index, but rather to avoid any conflicts that may exist, perhaps within an employer, for example. Right. I think that's the most common circumstance that you're going to be excluding a specific name is that you've got some trading requirement or you are already completely overloaded in that stock because it's somewhere that you work or that you've got some moral obligation and you can use it for ESG reasons to avoid certain industries. And the Schwab product in general that we're talking about, and again, there are others out there, they actually have an ESG-focused version of this or a socially responsible version of this for folks that are basically doing it for that reason. They're giving you an out-of-the-box, socially responsible angle at it already if that's why you're kind of going down this path. But again, I think we're most compelled by the tax benefits and the fact that you're going to keep what looks and feels like the index at all times you're not making that active stock picking decision. You are just letting the manager trim the losses and replace them with very comparable companies that you're hoping respond almost identically. You shouldn't really notice a difference in performance based on what it owns and what it doesn't own at any given time. You're hoping to keep that tracking error very, very tight to the actual benchmark. If you think about the components of a broad market index, Schwab's is tracking the Schwab 1000. The companies kind of on the smaller side of that 1000 stock index represent such a small portion of their performance that I think what Ross said, it should be almost unnoticeable what happens in harvesting a loss from that bottom tier of stock holdings and replacing it with something similar in size and sector. And and there's a lot that goes into how they're position sizing all of that stuff and trying to keep it as, as close as possible. Um, having watched it now for a little bit and seeing how they do the trading, it's not as much trading as you might expect. So it is not some you know super high level of activity, but you are watching them make those tactical choices and generate those losses when it's necessary, even on accounts that are moving up in direction. And so uh, I've been excited to get to see it in action and start to see how that's working. Again, certainly not the right product for everybody. And there is nothing wrong with a plain vanilla index fund. Don't get us wrong that we're saying, hey, you got to go throw out all of your hardworking, you know, long-suffering index funds that have been in your portfolio and that are doing the heavy lifting for you. That's not the case here, but I do think it gives a unique angle at this for people where that might be appropriate or they've got those special situations that are going to really benefit from the active tax loss harvesting. 
Now, Ross, you're a hat person. I see you wearing like baseball caps a lot. Do you rock a bucket hat? Is that something you would do? I don't think that I've worn a bucket hat since like seventh grade. I remember in like seventh grade, I had like a Stussy bucket hat, and I thought that that was a pretty cool thing to do. I'm not like a fisherman. I think of those bucket hats as like a fishing hat. I see some people wear them on the golf course, but no, I'm not a bucket hat guy per se. I think I would wear one if we had one, but I tend to be a baseball cap guy and specifically like the old style baseball cap. I don't really like the flat bill caps. That's not a a look that, you know, works on my head shape or whatever. So I want like a nice curved old school baseball cap. Yeah, I tend to be with you. The trucker hat worked, I think, briefly when I had a mammoth beard, uh, but (laughs) hasn't hasn't looked good on me since. Bucket hats, I had one for the Washington football team back when I was a kid. I think I'd bring it back. If I had one, I'd I'd wear it all the time, and my wife would probably get mad at me with how often I put that thing on my head. Ooh, well, yeah, maybe we'll do a special run of them just for fun. I mean, at this point, we're just kind of goofing around with it, so we, we might as well just make them if if we can find somebody that'll do like a small run of them and it's not crazy. Here's what I envision, although it's not check your balances. We'd need a check your balances logo, but you know the trend to have like all those small printed um, logos just repeated frequently on a item. So it's like a lot of check your balances, but like all over the hat. Oh, so you want to like map it. So it's almost like a, like a wallpaper pattern. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm envisioning in my head. Ooh, interesting. All right. I like that. We'll, we'll see if we can get that worked up. Let's move on to our next question. I think there's a lot in this one. So this comes to us from Eric. Uh, it says, continue to enjoy each episode you record and post. I've been tempted by your wine key and decided to write in again. So Eric, you're going to get one if you would like as soon as we get them in. He said, I recently listened to another podcast that argued for traditional over Roth 401k. This is the Money with Katie show by Morning Brew. The normal argument I hear is that assuming you hold spending flat, your income will be down since you only need the spend to be the income. Meaning, I think what he's saying there is that the amount that you're going to actually spend is what you need to pull out of the accounts. You're not trying to replace your total pre-tax income. Says the argument for Roth is that you'll have lifestyle creep and that you'd rather pay taxes when you make less. The other podcast brought up payroll taxes plus the tax bracket outweigh all of that untaxed growth. Curious to hear your thoughts. I was thinking the withdrawal strategy assumes end with nothing or next to nothing. While if I plan to pass on a substantial legacy, the Roth would make sense looking at taxes over the entire life. Look forward to listening if you air it. All right. So there's a lot there, Dan. We both went and listened to that episode of Money with Katie, which is about an hour podcast. So we did an hour more research for this week's show than we do for most of our shows where we just kind of let it rip on whatever the questions are and you get our opinion. So we went and listened to Money with Katie. By the way, she's got a great show. She's really good at it. Yeah. I've been a subscriber to that podcast for a while. It's very approachable. She's very smart. Even though she's not a financial professional, I think she examines things very thoroughly and makes them very easy to understand for her listening audience. So if you're looking for a podcast to add to the queue, you should not replace ours. <laughs> Don't take ours off. But no. but yeah, if you're looking for more good personal finance pod- content, shout out to Money with Katie. Yep. Maybe we'll invite her on the show. Who knows? I, I think she's probably got 100x the audience size that we have. So who knows? She's probably busy, but that's all right. We'll try. <laughs> she might uh, be. We could. <laughs> anyway. That being said, so I went and listened to this show, and I've got two comments on the math that she does. Number one, 
And she says this at the outset as kind of a precursor to her math and her consideration here. And to me, this is what most people are not doing. This this is why I basically disagree with her take, which is that her basis for making a pre-tax 401k election is that you are going to save the difference. You're going to take the tax savings of what you're not going to pay in income taxes on your 401k and that you're going to set that aside into some other investment account and that is going to grow at the same rate as the 401k. And so if you're in the 25 or 24% tax bracket and you max out your 401k, ignoring state taxes for a moment, 22.5 times 0.24 is $5,400. So if you're going to max out your 401k, you put the 22.5 in, you're going to not pay $5,400 in taxes. The requirement in her math is that you take that $5,400 that you would have paid in taxes and you put it elsewhere. The reason I, I, I struggle with that is I just don't see people do it. I know that Katie is, her math is correct. And if you go by her math, I think that's accurate. That if you then take that money and either do a backdoor Roth, because you could still do the Roth, if you do a taxable brokerage account because you like the flexibility, whatever you end up doing with that tax savings, if you capture it, yeah, her, her math is spot on here. But I don't see most people doing that, which is why we see so many folks come into our practice that have lots of money in their 401k and very little elsewhere. They might have a lot of home equity, but in terms of liquid assets, we see that overloaded pre-tax or traditional 401k being the home to where all the money sits as a lot of people get to retirement. Yeah. For me, that behavioral component was one of the biggest things that I think would lead me away from maxing out the traditional for everyone. Although for some people, that is the right answer. Not everyone should be doing a Roth and contributing every dollar to a Roth. There's a reason pre-tax savings exists, and it is a benefit to a lot of people. But to then have to save the difference, identify what it is, and build that into your savings plan it is a step that a lot of people are not taking. The other thing that she does mention is you could take that difference and save it into a Roth IRA potentially. I also think introducing tax diversity is critical to a successful retirement plan. Because if you're not and you're loading up on that pre-tax account, it might not matter what you hope to spend in retirement. You might be forced to pull a lot more money out than you want. And even though she's saying that in retirement, you're filling the bottom tax brackets up first until you get to your marginal rate, everything above what you're spending up until what the government's forcing you to take out is going to come out at that marginal rate, which might not be your intention. So oversaving into a pre-tax account can be a tax drag on your retirement. Yeah, it's really interesting because the number that she uses is basically about, I think it goes to about 2 million bucks in pre-tax money is the estimate she uses in the math. And I think that's almost the perfect amount to have in pre-tax money, right? Like, And she basically shows that at that amount, if you pull out the 80 or 90,000 that represents a 4% withdrawal rate, you're going to be in this super low effective tax rate. The other thing that she's not showing in that is Social Security. And so if your only resource is the 401k money, and that's going to be everything that comes out, I I agree. But for most people, they're going to have something else that not only 
reduces the amount they would really need to take out of the 401k, but it also is going to bump the tax bracket because 85% of that social security is going to be taxable as soon as you get to enough income, which for the types of folks we're talking about here, you're going to get to that income and you're going to have 85% of your social security be taxable. And then the bomb that goes off, the ticking time bomb, and the reason that we are always beating the drum on the Roth is once those RMDs start, it can get out of control pretty quickly. So Dan, I was doing a financial plan earlier this week, and I was looking at a client that was basically in this situation where they had a lot of pre-tax money, husband and wife, both saving a bunch into it. Um, They're now diversified and they're saving some Roth plus some pre-tax but they're just going to have this huge required minimum distribution when they really don't need it. That's kind of the projection. And I, and that's after I handicap Social Security. That's after we even start looking at doing some Roth conversions during low tax years or accelerated distributions during low tax years. We're still talking about like a six-figure number of money that's going to get forced out of the IRAs late in life, like in your 70s, when you don't even need it. And that's the uncomfortable part that we're trying to help most people avoid is this big ballooning required minimum distribution where you're being forced to pay taxes on, you know, could be two, three hundred thousand dollars a year in retirement that you don't need to live on. You've got a paid off mortgage, you've got social security, maybe you've got a pension, and then you're going, holy cow, why am I paying all these taxes on this thing that I'm not even using? And that's the situation that we see a lot with clients. So the 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 math she's done is perfect. The practical nature of what I've seen suggests that we need to be actively and intentionally building that diversification into our tax strategy. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that came to mind is in her math, she's looking at your active contributions into the plan. In the real world, your employer will also be making contributions on your behalf. So that pre-tax balance can balloon much more quickly than was illustrated which can lead to some of the problems Ross is talking about. So if you're in your head going, well, if I'm contributing 22.5 or whatever it is each year, you know, I really have a speed limit as to what that can grow to, which is true to some extent. Returns might be different than what we project, which can lead to bigger balances. But you also have to add on the employer contribution on top of that, which can create exponential growth, especially towards the tail end of your working years where you're looking at a already large balance now growing by the investment performance. Again, I think her show is amazing. I think she brings up a lot of really good points that are worth considering because it could be that Roth options are overstated for some, or or you get it ingrained in your head that I need to do Roth, I need to do Roth, whereas pre-tax makes sense for people, but it's not as plain as you should almost always use the traditional 401k option. You know what the other thing she said in that show was that I really enjoyed? And I'm sure we're guilty of this being podcasters that talk about this stuff. And we kind of have this assumption that people know what we're talking about. We talk about the Roth option like it's completely understood and like ubiquitous. We did that today, too. (laughs) Yeah, we we did it today. I think we do it a lot. I think we're doing that with the intention of, of giving our audience the credit for having known and she goes, she said something on the show to the effect of like, yeah, people always like nod and smile when you talk about Roth. And then they go, holy cow, what is that? And then they Google it. And because they're, they're maybe not fully understanding what that Roth means, but it gets talked about so broadly, so ubiquitously that everybody just feels like they should know rather than asking the question. And honestly, that was just a good reminder for me that when I'm talking with people about it to go back and 
define and talk about, hey, this is why this matters. This is what we're thinking about. We really have three buckets of taxed later, taxed along the way, and taxed never again. We're trying to get some money into all three of those buckets for most people so that they've got options when they get to retirement. Another thing that she brought up that I like, and the question addressed this too, I hope they understood it the right way, is she talks about payroll taxes and the way that factors into retirement forecasts. Payroll taxes are something you're paying during your working years. It's coming out of your paycheck. They're relatively meaningful, 7.65% if you're an employee and 15.3% if you're self-employed. I mean, that's, that's a lofty chunk. Spicy. Spicy. But... When you're retired, you know, and you think about taxes you pay, I feel like people often think about federal and state taxes, but don't often think about payroll taxes. In retirement, that is an expense that you do not have to account for anymore and how much money you need. So I think what she was saying is your living expenses in retirement may be overstated in your mind because you're thinking about the federal and state taxes that you're paying today, but what's flowing through to your paycheck is after those payroll taxes too. By the way, payroll taxes are assessed whether you're contributing to a pre-tax 401k or a Roth 401k. That's being taken out of those numbers regardless. So you don't need to withdraw extra money to account for the, the payroll taxes that you're paying during your working years down the road. So your lifestyle expenses are probably lower than you think they are in retirement, assuming you're maintaining a level you know, retirement lifestyle expense. I mean, there's no question about that. And that's why when we talk about, do you know what you're spending? That number for me always starts with, do you know what your paycheck says after tax, right? If we know what your net after tax paycheck is, that's going to be the starting spot to figuring out how much you spend. We don't need to start with your pre-tax amount. If you're making 150 grand, you're not spending 150 grand. We know that unless you're living on credit cards. But we have to back into what is that after-tax amount that you're actually living on. Now, the thing that I think is going to go up for a lot of people, because we keep saying, yeah, you're going to spend less, you're going to spend less. But for a lot of people, that healthcare cost is a big add back, right? We're going to look at what you're spending. Hopefully, eventually, your mortgage rolls off if you're paying one and you have one. But the addition of what you're going to spend either in a private marketplace exchange on your healthcare or eventually on Medicare, that's a big add back item that is probably not part of your budget or certainly not a part that you see where we need to make an adjustment for that in most of these plans that we're talking about. Since you mentioned Medicare, can we talk about a secret cost of having all your money in pre-tax accounts in retirement? Are you going to talk about Irma? We're going to talk about Irma. So your Medicare premiums are dependent on your is it modified adjusted gross income yeah, or I think adjusted it's modified gross adjusted gross on your modified adjusted gross income? So if you're pulling money out of a pre-tax account, that's going to be a ding against you in calculating your Medicare premiums. But if you're pulling money from a Roth account, that's not true. That could yeah. be thousands of dollars of difference for you each year in retirement. Your Maggie, your Irma, there, there's a lot of scary ladies out there that are that are going to try <laughs> and take your money in retirement. We've got to avoid these people, Dan. There are jokes to be made there, but <laughs> I'll avoid them. All right. Fair enough. We thought that was a great question. I really appreciate Eric writing in. I appreciate him kind of pointing me towards that Money with Katie episode. I, I was familiar with her show, but I don't listen to it every week just because of time and what else we have going on between running our business and uh, and trying to generate our own content here. But really enjoyed the opportunity to listen and 
hopefully add our take, our color on what she said on the show. I don't think she's wrong at all. I just think in the trenches of what we do in kind of the hand-to-hand combat world of working with clients every day, some of those assumptions just don't hold up for me. I think the theory is absolutely perfect, but the assumptions don't hold up in practice. And that's why we end up landing where we do, which is build diversification, build flexibility. That's the key. It is. We would like your take. Our show is built largely on your messages, questions, and opinions. Please email us at checkyourbalances@outlook.com. We have an Instagram at checkyourbalances that we hope to populate every now and then when we have good content, but give us a follow in the meantime, and we will work on getting those wine keys ordered and out to all of our favorite listeners. Until next week. 